Well, hey, Catalyst, uh, we are in a series called What Kills the Great Spiritual Adventure, and we're in part eight, which is choosing insanity. The main thing today, like Rob said, is the adventure never happens for those unwilling to change. Now, the Alcoholics Anonymous definition of insanity is doing the same things over and over with expecting different results, and we definitely don't want to do that. Okay, so what we're, what we're talking about today, if everybody will turn to Exodus 18, 13 through 26, it's, there's something uh, called the Jethro Principle. Jethro was Moses' mother-in-law and came to see him. Uh, mother-in-law, father-in-law came to see him. Here in Exodus 18, 13 through 26, that's what happens. And ne- the next day Moses took his seat to serve as judge for all the people. And they stood around him from morning till evening. When his father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for all the people, he said, What is this you're doing for all the people? Why do you sit alone as judge while all these people stand around you from morning till evening? Moses answered, because the people come to me to seek God's will. Uh, whenever they have a dispute, it is brought to me, and I decide between the parties and inform them of God's decrees and instructions. Moses' father-in-law replied, what you're doing is not good. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. Listen now to me, and I will give you some advice, and may God be with you. You must be the people's representative before God and bring their disputes to him. Teach them his decrees and instructions and show them the way they are to live and how they are to behave. But select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain, and appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Have them serve as judges for the people at all times, but have them bring every difficult case to you. The simple cases they can decide for themselves. That will make your load lighter because they will share it with you. If you do this and God so commands, you'll be able to stand the strain and these people will go home satisfied. Moses listened to his father-in-law and did everything he said. He chose capable men from all Israel and made them leaders of the people, officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. They served as judges for all the people at all times. The difficult cases they brought to Moses, simple ones they decided for themselves. See, Moses had a system that he had set up, and it was delivering bad results. He was going to handle it all. And his father-in-law Jethro comes to him and says, listen, you need to change. You need to change things because you're wearing yourself out and the people are not getting what they need. And so Moses had to think. It's tough to give up control. It's tough to change. However, the adventure never happens when we don't change. See, the problem, let's go ahead and say it. The change is scary. Let's just go ahead and say it. I've had people in this church come up to me and say that I don't like change. I know this is the right thing, but I hate change. And I, I, I can't handle it. Well, I understand. Let's just acknowledge it. Uh, because we, we have these what-ifs going on. What if it doesn't work? What if something bad happens? What if I get hurt? And quite honestly, as you, as you get older, many people will find out we found what works. We know what works. We have also had our fair share of things that have gone wrong. And we don't want to go through that again. So change is scary. Let's just acknowledge that. I get that. But there's a bigger problem. And it's called this. Your system is perfectly designed to generate the results you're getting. 1 Corinthians 9, 6 says this. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Remember last week we talked about the law of sowing and reaping. You cannot plant one type of seed and expect a different fruit to grow. Whatever you sow, you will also reap. Your system is perfectly designed to generate the results you're getting. So for example, if you're a business owner and you're losing money every single month, 
You've got a system perfectly designed to generate that. You've got a bad product. You've got prices too low. You've got inventory too high. You've got dishonest employees who are stealing from you. You've got a bad location. Your system is perfectly designed to generate the results you're getting. If your family has a generational problem with addiction, your system is perfectly designed for it. You watched your dad drink himself into a stupor. You're doing this night after night, just like he watched his dad do, and just like you're doing, and your kids are watching this. Your family system is perfectly designed to generate those results. So if we want different results in life, we have to change the system in our church, in, 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 in our lives, in our families, and in our churches. Remember this. We have to change the system we have in place. If we want to be more faithful to God, let's take a look at this, what we're doing and be willing to change it to get different results. Let's start with ourselves on a personal level, our personal systems. Galatians 6 through 7, 7, verse 7 through 9 says this, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. Whatever a man, a man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. So I want you to ask yourself, what are the results you've been getting in your walk with Christ? Are they good? Are they bad? What are they? If you want different results, you have to change the system because your system is perfectly designed to generate the results you've been getting. A young couple approached me uh, several years ago, and they were terrified. They were panicked. She was pregnant. They were teenagers. They were in high school, unmarried. And after I got them calmed down a little bit, I said, so, you know, so what happened? They go, we, we, we don't know. We have no idea what happened. Um, uh, you know, we got a school at 345, and, and he came over and we hung out at my house. And I said, well, where were the parents? And, the, and said, well, the parents got off at 5.30, home at 6. And I said, so, let me get this straight. You, as an unmarried couple, were alone in a home for two hours every afternoon without parents. And you're surprised that you're pregnant. See, your system was perfectly designed to generate those results. And he says this, well, I, I, I guess we got tempted. I said, well, of course you got tempted. If you didn't get tempted, you're, you're not human. But see, your system delivered those results. And if, if you're struggling with sin, really, really struggling with sin, and it's seemingly unbeatable, let's take a look at this. Let's take a look. I want you to ask yourself three questions. The first question is this, where are you tempted? Where are you tempted? Many times, temptation hits us in certain places. A lady once told me, she goes, I don't know why I spend so much. And I said, well, where do you spend your time? She goes, well, I, I'm, I'm, I go shopping all the time, and when I'm not shopping, I'm on Amazon shopping. And, and I, I, I said her system was perfectly designed for her to spend money she doesn't have. She spent her time. Where is, where is it that you go, people? You know, you know what I'm talking about, where no one will see what you're looking at on your phone. Is there a certain chair you sit in in the, in the house where... You can look at your phone and no one can see what you're looking at. A certain room you go to, certain, uh, a certain place, uh, or maybe you're tempted to look at stuff you shouldn't be looking at on your phone. Is there a certain place? Well, the reason that happens is called classical conditioning. Your brain associates that place with the pleasure of the temptation. It, whenever you sit in that chair, all of a sudden your brain says, oh, we're sitting in this chair, we're going to see something good. And that, that's called class, classical conditioning. That's why when you sit there, you're tempted when, when you're not tempted other places. 
So the places, we, we have to identify where we are tempted. If you're tempted to spend money you don't have and you're in debt up to your eyeballs, don't go to the store. If you are tempted to look at things on your phone when you're sitting in this certain place or in a certain room, don't do that. Identify where you are tempted. Change the system. Okay, the second question is when are you tempted? Not only where are you tempted, but when are you tempted? Are there certain times of day where you're more vulnerable to temptation? For me, it's 10 o'clock. 10 o'clock, I, re- I noticed that at 10 o'clock p.m., there was some type of metamorphosis that happened within me. I, I went from this really nice guy to being rather irritable at about 10 o'clock. Um, and, uh, and so uh, I, I realized that after 10 p.m., I was liable to sin against my wife by speaking to her and to my kids in, in ways that no Christian husband or Christian father should ever speak to them. I was irritable because I was tired, and I was maybe stressed from the day, and I was, I was tired. And so uh, we changed the system. We came up with what's called the 10 o'clock rule. The 10 o'clock rule, I mean, in the Kibler household, unless the house is on fire or someone's breaking in, uh, we have to deal with those. But after, uh, other than that, we won't deal with anything. There's nothing but sleep or sex that will happen in the Kibler household. With me and my wife, nothing but sleep, sex after ten o'clock. We're not. It's not the time to discuss the clothes on the floor. It's not the time to discuss finances. It's not the time to uh, um, discuss what the kids were doing. Um, And and because what it was like, this is what it was like in our household before that. We would say um, we we were discussing clothes on the floor. The fact the bathroom looks like it was designed in the 1970s, and how we're going to find the finances to remodel it, and uh, definitely needs updating. And how are we going to pay for mission trips with the corona? virus going on? Is the church going to sit down? Are we going to shut down? And are we going to go? Are we going to die? And will the Lord return to get us out of this mess? And I'm hungry. And will we have enough toilet paper to see us through the end of this? And for the love of all that is holy, why can't UK have a decent football team for a while? And on and on and on. That's what it looked like. So we changed the system. So what about you? When are you tempted? When are what are certain times of day when you're most tempted? Maybe late at night, alone in your room with the computer on. Is that an area of temptation for you? Uh, let's be real. We all know a time of day when no one's looking. We all know a time of day when maybe our roommate isn't at the house, got class, or is at work, and we got the house to ourselves. Uh, we, we, the, you know, we all know that time of day when kids are at practice and wife is doing something or the husband's doing something, you got the place to yourself. When is it that you're tempted Bible tells us to make no provision for the flesh. If you've been failing and struggling and just letting sin overcome you, look at the system you've set up because it's perfectly designed to generate those results. If you are struggling and failing with sin, more than likely you've built a system designed specifically to let sin overcome you. So take a look at this system. The third question is who tempts you? Who tempts you? One of the things I tell guys that I work with in, in active recovery of addiction is that you've got to delete all your old contacts out of your phone. Remember, your system is perfectly designed to generate the results you've been getting. If you wrecked your life in addiction, the things that you were doing back then set you up for, for failure. And so if you're in active recovery and you still have your dealer's number in your phone, you've got a bad system. You've got to change the system. Some of you have, still have X's numbers in your phones and when you get lonely, you call them, and you, and, and you set up something, and you get hurt all over again. That's a terrible system. 
Okay, there are un- incredibly toxic people around. A lot of times people around in our lives bring us anxiety, bring us depression, uh, anger, unforgiveness. We've got to cut them out. Okay, keeping them around has been the system that got you where you are. And you have to be able to change that. If you can't, and if you can't cut them out, if you work with them, they're family members, you've got to put a wide boundary between you and them. Tell them what topics they're allowed to talk with you about. If you, if you, are, if you are divorced and, and you have children with, with somebody that you're hostile with or, may, or is a toxic person, then then make a wide boundary. Say, you can talk to me about when we're picking up kids, but you're not allowed to talk to me about my personal life, my faith, anything like that. All those things you're not allowed to talk to me about. We're allowed to talk about these things. Set the boundary. If they don't respect it, enforce the boundary. You have to do that. You have to do that. And if you're dating, if you're dating, the person you're dating is naturally going to tempt you. That's perfectly natural. They sh- it should. You should be attracted to them. There's something wrong if not. But as a father of three unmarried kids who are dating or who will date, I will tell you the same thing that I, will tell, that, that, that I tell them. That understand that your flesh, the part that your flesh does not want to obey God, does not want to submit to his will. It can't. St. Francis of Assisi called his flesh, called his heart, brother donkey. Matter of fact, he used the King James term for donkey because it would not do what God wanted it to do. And he said, I've got a brain stubborn donkey within me that wants to resist God's will. Understand that, that you have that within you. You have to understand that, and you have to design a system to keep that braying donkey out uh, and, and his stubborn will that does not want to serve God. You've got to have a system in place that he doesn't win, okay, that the braying donkey doesn't win. Where are you tempted? When are you tempted? And who tempts you? We have to understand these things. Only a fool would not consider these things. Only a fool. It's amazing to me to see people, Christians, that love God with everything that they are, still not able to conquer sin in their lives. And Well, if you look at their systems, it's not hard to see why they're unsuccessful. People in debt up to their eyeballs that really want to get out of debt still have 20 credit cards, and they spend all their time in stores. Well, of course, your system is terrible. Um, married people uh, with dating apps Married people have dating apps on their phone and profiles, and they wonder why they commit adultery. Uh, young couples living together before marriage, sharing a bed, and they're wondering why they can't stay sexually pure. Addicts and alcoholics keep their old friends and the old contacts and, and go back to the same places, and they wonder why they relapse. Most of the time, our sin is just simply a result of a terrible system we've set up because our systems have been perfectly designed to generate the results we've been getting. And so we need to be willing to change on a personal level in order to follow Jesus. The second thing is in our family, our, our, our family level. We have to consider change on a family level. Ephesians 6, 1 through 4 says this, Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Let's take a look at your family. What results has your family system got you? What are the results? Uh, Verse 1 says we're to obey. Why? So that it may go well with you and you may enjoy long life on earth. But it says something really interesting. It says obey your parents, honor your father and your mother. 
Obedience doesn't produce uh, a, a long life. We only, to, we only do that by honoring. Our parenting, uh, you parents out there, should be honor-based, not obedience-based. Okay? Where there is no honor in the home, then you're, you're, you're setting yourself up for failure. When there's honor in the home, you need almost no rules. Uh, we were at the, cat, uh, at the um, Exponential Conference last week, and we heard Andy Stanley do a great talk about having an honor-based home. And he, I'm going to share some of the things that he said with that. See, a lot of us grew up with obedience-based uh, uh, systems in our home. Mom and Dad said, do it because I said so. And you were supposed to follow, and you were supposed to obey. A lot of us grew up with those kind of systems, okay? I'm going to suggest... I'm just going to suggest that we move from obedience-based to an honor-based system in our home. See, with an honor-based system where there's honor for mom and dad, honor for children, you need almost no rules, a few. You probably need the rule, honor mom and dad. Maybe don't lie, because lying is, is the ultimate breaking of honor. Uh, it breaks the relationship. It's dishonoring. About the worst thing you can do in the home is tell a lie because it is dishonoring. Okay, um, listen, parents, tie every rule in your home to relationship. Tie every rule to relationship. That is the heart of the gospel in the home. Tie every punishment to the restoration of that relationship. Okay, uh, punishment should be about restoring the broken relationship, not exacting revenge or doing damage. And I found that when children are taught to, to honor the relationship, to restore the relationship, not just to obey, they turn out much better. So we need to change our system from an obedience based because I said so, do this or else, to an honor-based one. Um, when, when, you're, when your children disobey, when your children break, uh, break trust, when they lie or when they're dishonoring, make sure that when you correct them, it's not just ascending to their room. What are you going to do to restore the relationship in the home? And when you have honor-based system in your home, your family results completely change from obedience to honor-based, then that is literally the gospel in the home, isn't it? Isn't our entire relationship with God honor-based? Everything in our walk with Christ is tied to relationship. Uh, sin is the breaking of that relationship. Repentance and forgiveness is a restoring of that relationship. That's the gospel being modeled to us by our Heavenly Father, and that's what we need to model in our homes. Relationship honor-based homes instead of obedience-based homes. That is to be practiced in our homes. I would like to suggest that you change your system. You change your system from obedience to honor-based and watch the results. A loving family, watch the, watch the relationship blossom. Watch the, the joy of seeing your children, as, as, as verse 4 here says, that you grow, grow them up in training instruction of the Lord. The best way you can illustrate the gospel in your home to your children is to live it out in your home. The third thing that we, third, third kind of system we need to talk about is within the church, on a church level. We talked about a personal level, the systems we have in our lives. How about, then we talked about the family systems that we've set up. And now we need to talk about the church level. Romans 15, 13 has been my verse for this entire month dealing with this crisis and everything like that. Romans 15, 13, may the God of hope Fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. There's so much there. Let's, let's take this apart. May the God of hope fill you with what? All joy and peace. Think we need some joy and some peace right now 
in, in the world situation? Absolutely. May God fill that. So he wants to fill us with joy and peace as we what? As we trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So he wants to give us joy, peace, and hope through the power of the Holy Spirit as we trust him. And I, I was studying and I was praying on Wednesday, and I realized that the Holy Spirit cannot powerfully move through a distracted church. The Holy Spirit wants to move powerfully through his church, through us as individuals, through our families, and through our churches. It always has and always will. However, he cannot do that with a distracted church. Okay? The, 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 God is trying to move powerfully through us right now, big time. The virus pandemic is the clue. Let's take a look at what's happened in the past two weeks. What is God's primary goal for us? It's for all to be saved. It says that in, in 1 Peter, that God wants all to be saved. That's his goal. He wants other things for us too, but his primary thing for us is that he wants all people to be saved. Okay? So let's, think of, let's look at this virus pandemic in light of that. Um, what have been the primary effects? Well, most of us, at least at this point, have not gotten sick. That, that's not been an effect on us. The, the primary effects have been kind of secondary. Let's run through the list. Sports have been canceled. As any person in America knows, sports has taken on an almost idol, idolic role in our, in, our, in our community. People will skip church for sports. People's entire day will be ruined or made wonderful whether or not their team wins. People obsess over stats. People obsess over records. And every, every entire weekends are scheduled around games. God has removed that from us. Interesting that sports were the first casualty. Don't miss that. Second thing is that our plans have been canceled. Um, Luke 14 is one of my favorite parables. Jesus tells us a story about a man who is throwing a huge feast for his friends, and he sends out invitations. And they all begin to make excuses. The first one says, oh, I just bought a field. I can't go. Please excuse me. Another one says, I just bought two team of oxen, and I need to, uh, I, I need to go check them out. Please excuse me. Another one said, I just got married, so I can't come. All excuses. And, uh, and, and so basically... Their plans had gotten in the way of the invitation. Uh, Jesus compares that to us. Our plans get in the way of our invitation to God's kingdom. God has stopped our plans, our vacation plans, our work plans, our school plans, everything. He stopped it all. Don't miss that. Third thing is that the economy is stalled. God has always known that his number one competitor in our hearts would be money. Jesus talked about this all the time. And, and uh, the scripture constantly tells us, warns us about putting our trust in wealth. The book of Matthew tells us not to store up treasure in heaven, I mean on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but rather store up treasure in heaven where that can never be taken away. Our wealth should be in heaven. God has removed at, the, at this time about 20% of the nation's wealth in the last, 20, uh, last two weeks. Don't miss that. The fourth thing, entertainment has been removed. The obsession of Americans with celebrities and professional athletes has been shown for what it is, irrelevant. Completely and totally irrelevant. Now that we can't go to movies or watch pro athletes, God has shown us how relatively insignificant to life they really are. The main thing is number five, is that our character is being revealed. Tough times don't build character, people. 
That's a misconception. Tough times reveal character. They reveal character. People are being shown for who they are right now. God has ripped off the curtain of our lives, and we are now fully exposed for who we are. It's been amazing to see the self-centeredness and the greed that has been revealed in people in the last two weeks. It's been really ugly. Uh, It's also been pretty amazing to see how compassionate, loving, faithful some people are. See, when times are good, it's easy to hide who you are, but tough times reveal the innermost parts of who we are. And if you have been shown to be greedy and self-centered and, and, and panicky, then, then God is holding a mirror up to you and saying, this is who you are. I'm giving you the chance to see what I see every day when you can't hide. I pray that we, that, that we will constantly, uh, that, that, that we will take that seriously. Because God is holding up a mirror to our culture and saying, this is what you look like to me. This is what you look like. This is what I see every day. He said, every one of us is being shown for who we are right now. For some, it's nice. For others, it's ugly. And every single one of these things have been direct competitors to God in our hearts. Every single one of them, sports, plans, uh, economy, uh, entertainment, these things. It's like God has knocked these idols out of our lives, like boom, boom. And, and he's removing ruthlessly his competitors because he's trying to get our attention as a church. The Holy Spirit wants to move powerfully through the church, but he can't do it when we're distracted by the idols we have set up in our hearts and in our churches. He, God has shown through a tiny little virus the fleeting nature of all those things that we spend so much time and so much energy into. He's shown for how trivial they are, how quickly they can be gone, and he's shouting to his church, stop placing your trust in these things. Stop placing your passion in these things. Treasure me, is what God is saying. They can be gone quickly. The danger is that many of us will miss this message. Many of us will miss it. We as Americans, as as our idols have been removed, a lot of times we don't know what to do, but God is showing us that he is the treasure to be hungered after. He is the treasure to be pursued, he, not to build our lives around the things that can be easily taken away. He alone is worthy of our devotion, our trust, our love. Don't miss the message. So I say this to us, church. Let's repent of the idolatry that, that, that God has revealed. Let's repent of that, and let's pursue Jesus with a single passion. Let's change the system that of, of our time, of our passion, of our, our, our attention. Let's change that and go to a single focus of Jesus Christ and him crucified alone because the Holy Spirit wants to move powerfully through the church and with us undistracted, he can do amazing things. He can do amazing things. Remember, we have two goals for the people of Catholic Christian Church. Two goals, that's it. We only want two things. One is that we want the people of this church to exhibit the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We want people to exhibit those in greater and greater degrees because that is a life under the control of the Holy Spirit. The second thing is we want every person in this church dedicated to the Great Commission, to taking the message of Jesus Christ to every tribe, every nation, to our neighbors, to to our city, everywhere, and making disciples. If we only do those two things, exhibit fruit and accomplish the Great Commission, we will have lived well on this earth. So let's make sure we as a church have a system designed to generate those 
results. I understand that change is scary. Changing personal things, changing where you go, when, when you uh, uh, are, are certain places, who you hang out with, some of those things are scary. Changing how you do things as a family from obedience to honor base may be scary. I understand that changing your entire concept of church may be scary. But this is what we need to do because our systems are designed to generate the results we've been getting. Uh, thank you so much for listening. I am praying for you. God bless every single one of you.